0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Views on View. I'm Ben Hong, Senior Front End Engineer at GitLab. And today on our panel, we have Chris Fritz, core team member extraordinaire and one of the people responsible for the amazing docs we know and love. Hello. (laughs) And today our guest is Ari. Ari, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. I'm Ari Clark. I'm a Senior UI UX Engineer at a company called Liquid Inc. And we do something that's a little bit different. We do composable infrastructure, which we'll get into what that is a little bit later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good.
2: Hey, folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called Eleventy.js, and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I, I, just, I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back-end without having to actually program the back-end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com.
0: Yeah, I guess. So to get started, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about your background, um, sort of like getting into development and sort of how you got into Vue? I think that's a great place to start.
1: Sure. Despite having senior in my title, uh, (laughs) I'm actually fairly new to development. I graduated from a coding boot camp, specifically galvanized for anyone listening who is there right now. There's hope. In March of 2017, I uh, started working at Liquid in June of 2017. I've been here ever since. Prior to that, I actually worked at um, a quilt shop and uh, played video games at night and streamed that. And I decided maybe it was time to grow up. And so i I decided to try out coding and I fell in love and found my purpose in life, but I actually didn't get into Vue until almost a year ago. We had the opportunity to do a greenfield rewrite of our app and I weighed the options and Vue is just the best. It fit the paradigm we needed just perfectly.
3: Nice. So what, what exactly were your needs?
1: So we have a real-time app, which means uh, we're using WebSockets. So we needed something that it was going to be easy to make it dynamic. And as it turns out, um, the reactivity system in Vue is just, yeah, it makes my life so easy. Everything just updates. Yay.
3: <laughs> and what do you mean by, by like real-time and dynamic exactly? Like what, is, what does that mean?
1: Okay, so we use WebSockets. Uh, Well, Actually, we use a combination of standard HTTP requests and WebSockets. So in order to receive updated states, we use WebSockets. But in Mm -hmm. order to initiate uh, state changes, we use um, HTTP requests over a REST API. So anytime there's anything that will update the state of the app that just gets directly pushed over WebSocket to all clients. And because it's, you know, just being plugged into UX, everything just magically updates.
3: Got it. So you never need to... Like, you never need to have, like, a refresh button that you, like, click on, and then it calls a method, and the method, like, uses Axios to go and, like, fetch new data, and then there's a loading screen, and then you, like, it updates, that kind of thing? It just, like, you you just always have the most up-to-date data?
1: Every once in a while, I have to fake it while, you know, the back end is catching up. (laughs) (laughs) But... That obviously only works in a single user situation. So we try to avoid ever actually having that in production. But yeah, it's basically, if you need to click refresh, we need to file a bug. <laughs> so generally, it's not me. Just saying. They would <laughs> say it is, but I swear it's not.
3: Got it. So like that, I'm sure that comes with like its own set of challenges. But have you also yes. noticed that it like simplifies some problems that like you used to have to deal with? And yes. then you right. just like... Never have to do that anymore?
1: Yeah, because so, like, once we establish exactly what the side effects of any action are, because, you know, for us, one action can affect multiple sets of data. So, once we've figured out all of the ramifications of any action, after that, it it should be pretty easy. Um, At least, no maintenance on my end, (laughs) which is nice. So yeah, I don't have to worry about making sure that everything's up to date all the time because once I plug in the WebSocket, it just is.
0: And so for those of us that don't work with WebSockets that much, can you give like a quick like, you know, 30 second on what WebSockets are?
1: Yes. So traditionally, WebSockets are used for um, bilateral communication where you can push data over the WebSocket and also receive data over the WebSocket. I believe it uses TCP connections. (laughs) Don't quote (laughs) me on that. But in our case, uh, we're actually just using it for one-way communication, just pushing the data. Typically, if that's your paradigm, you're probably gonna wanna go with server sent events. However, we were unable to support HTTP2, which meant that we were limited to six connections and we needed more than that. So we use WebSockets for the time being.
3: Fair enough. Got it, wow, that sounds sounds complex. (laughs) Yes, it does.
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, I've had to learn a lot about event driven architecture that I never thought I would. But turns out, event driven architecture is just really fascinating because, I mean, we all want to live that life where we never hit refresh and everything is just there and awesome. And yeah.
3: Yeah, no no loading screens.
1: Yeah, no loading screens. If the data's wrong, I can just be like, someone on the back end, that's your bug.
3: <laughs> when you say like it's it's fascinating, the the event-driven architecture. Like what if you found to be different or what would have been some revelations that you didn't expect?
1: Well, the really nice part is that once, you know, when I do a post request, that's it. I'm done. The only thing that I use the dot then handler on a promise for is basically just saying, hey, this is done. Or, you know, if there was an error, I catch it. But, you know, I don't have to then chain that into a get request um, unless I'm faking it, in which case I absolutely do that. But, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, the reality is there is still a lot of mental overhead for me as a developer because we're a very small team. And at the end of the day, it's sort of left to me to figure out what the UI needs in terms of data after any given action. But once that is documented, because that is key, because trying to keep track of that is really hard. <laughs> we have beautiful tables for that. Uh, once it's documented, it takes care of itself.
3: And are you using any kinds of like libraries or other special tools in order to like, make that work easier? You, you, know, you mentioned you're using Vuex, so you're, you're storing the state in Vuex. Is there anything you're doing that... Uh, is particularly uh, interesting or, or other people m- might find useful in um, order to work yeah. with the WebSockets?
1: So, from my understanding, this isn't best practices. I know that the docs definitely suggest uh, using yeah. a Vuex That's how I know plugin. it's a real
3: app.
1: Yeah, right? Yeah.
3: <laughs> sometimes sometimes you just like get <laughs> it to
1: work. Exactly, yes. But I know that yeah. the Vuex docs definitely suggest using or creating a Vuex plugin for WebSockets. I do not do that. I actually just keep all of that in um, render list components <laughs> because for me it was just easier to reason about the logic that was happening and it was also easier to keep everything separate and it made everything very explicit in terms of what was happening when a message was received and why and where the data was going. So. Maybe not best practices, but for me, I liked how explicit it was just to have it handled by a component.
3: <laughs> Did you have any like uh, blog posts or uh, you know any resources that that you could share with people that go into more detail with that?
1: Unfortunately, no. Uh, the WebSockets was part of the app when I got here, it, mm-hmm. which it was originally written in Polymer 1.0, which I haven't tried Polymer two or three i guess i think three has been released now but do not recommend polymer one just saying
0: (laughs) i've heard similar stories
1: (laughs) yeah actually you know i'm sure polymer is great for you know small widgets and everything but do do not try to build an app with it just don't (laughs) you need the plumbing and i personally (laughs) enjoy hand rolling it but um no, uh, I was already pretty familiar with WebSocket. so unfortunately, I don't have any uh, useful things to tell people about that. We personally at Liquid use uh, Stomp as our library for that, which I realize not a lot of people use that. I think most people are using like Socket.io or Sock.js.
3: Yeah, what is Stomp? I don't think I'm familiar with it.
1: I don't know. Uh, it's a really old protocol. That's all I know. Um, <laughs> The documentation for it is incredibly simple, which honestly is pretty good. I like simple things, it's straightforward. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not too bad. But yeah, I mean, uh, any any WebSocket um, library is going to have you know at least some similar interfaces. Like you know, there's going to be you know a callback for when you receive a new message. You're going to tell it you know how to connect. So honestly, it doesn't matter that much what library you're using. But yeah, so basically just Stomp and Vuex is all we're using. Oh, no, I lied. There is one page that uses D3. Uh, oh, I love D3. I'm, yeah. Or at
3: least I, I love its utilities. I don't love its rendering. <laughs>
1: uh, right. And so we're, we're not using Vue for rendering, which I, I very distinctly remember hearing you talk about that on a previous podcast. And I, ha- I used to have um, another team member for the front end, but now I'm the only one. And I was like, hey, you should you should check that out because he was a D3 guy and I, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you should you should uh, figure out how to do that. He did not figure out how to do that and I just avoid touching that code at all costs. But every once in a while, they make me and I want to cry every time because I can't use Vue to do the fun stuff. Yeah. It makes me sad inside. <laughs> and,
3: and D3's rendering model is like... It, it, is pretty complex. Like uh, it takes most people, including myself, like some time to wrap your mind around like how it works and why it's working that way. <laughs> you know?
1: Uh, yeah. No, I still don't really. I, I don't think it's the it. best.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think that's the case for like most people who are using D three to build stuff every day.
1: Yeah. No, I basically just like change things in the code and see what happens. Sometimes I win. Sometimes I lose.
3: You know, that's basically my strategy <laughs> for like. <code> <laughs>
1: I mean, I, come on, we've, we've all done that for
3: something at some point. I mean, I change things and so we see what happens.
1: Yeah, because yeah. I mean, how else are you going to really know how to break it?
3: Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. And you talked about, like at the beginning, uh, a little bit about like composable infrastructure. Like what what is that? Like what you said, like that's what you do at Liquid. You, you build like composable... Infrastructures or interfaces or something like, that. Uh, like okay. what is that?
1: The super simple layman's version is I build software that lets you build physical supercomputers with like a few clicks. The oh long God. version is um, I build software that lets you compose bare metal servers over a PCIe fabric. Some people will know what that means, other people won't. So if you don't know what that means, supercomputers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa whoa, so it's like <laughs> it's like drag and drop built your own supercomputer or yeah, something ac-
1: like literally when I started we actually had drag and drop. We don't anymore because I mean that's just asking for carpal tunnel I'm just saying
0: uh-huh. Why
1: you know why drag and drop when you can accomplish it with a single click?
3: <laughs> Got it yeah makes
1: sense. <laughs> but yeah basically. So- you create a machine and you can add any number of resources that you want to it. So like, let's say I want to be super awesome and I want eight GPUs. I just uh, add eight GPUs. I add maybe a couple SSDs and I click done and it electrically connects all of those devices to your CPU and you can add more devices on the fly. It supports hot plugging. So it honestly, it's pretty effing cool.
3: Yeah, that sounds that
0: really sounds amazing. cool. <laughs>
1: Uh, Especially since uh, I didn't know anything about hardware when I started here. So the learning curve has been intense, but super exciting.
0: So I have to ask, what are these supercomputers, like? what are people using this for?
1: Yeah, no, uh, it has a variety of applications. Uh, AI is definitely a big one because of the number of GPUs that we can support. Basically, uh, my understanding is there's no actual limit to how many GPUs that you can run on a single node. We definitely successfully had 16 GPUs, or graphics cards for people who are like, GPU? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But yeah, uh, 16 graphics cards on a single uh, processor, which is insane. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Or machine learning, because you can dynamically change what devices are there. So for each sort of like step of machine learning, it has slightly different requirements. You just add those in as needed. I know that there are other use cases that I'm just totally blanking on um, rendering farms is one especially because the you can have lots of GPUs and apparently people use those when they're rendering stuff it's what I've heard
3: <laughs> rendering so farms so when they're like creating like complex like three d models or something like yeah.
1: that so like I think I heard somewhere like it takes like a month for a Pixar movie just to be rendered a full month like. That is a really long time.
3: Wow, yeah. I'd hate for the power to go out during that month.
1: Right, Like, I imagine they have generators, like, I hope anyway. But yeah, Um, so... uh,
3: One person's job to just, like, one month of the year, just, like, look at a loading bar.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, yeah. uh... But yeah, so it it helps uh, speed up the rendering process. I think, you know, if you can add more GPUs to that on a single processor... I think you can actually shave that down to
0: like a week. Do you know if anyone has tried to use liquid wow. for like crypto mining?
1: Uh, I won't lie. Uh, in-house, that is definitely a thing that happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just
3: saying with all the GPUs, it seems so, like... So this yeah. is the real business, right? Like you don't even need to make money as like a, a, as, as liquid. Like that's a front. Yeah. Really but, uh, what you're doing is you're you're mining crypto and then partying on yachts.
1: Uh, yeah, and actually, well, your
3: money makes itself.
1: I think uh, at one point we were exploring making like a specific mining rig and, and everything. Wow! Because, yeah, because I mean, we have the the ability yeah. to support like an insane amount of GPUs. Like, yeah. why not? It's actually one of the test cases um, to test loading on GPUs that we use. Is <laughs> crypto mining?
0: That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: it's practical. It's
0: while testing. Yes. oh i love it that's great
1: yeah i might get in trouble for admitting that but whatever
3: (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't it's not illegal or anything it's not like right yeah. yeah. yeah
1: no and i mean like it's not like we're running it like that all the time but one cryptocurrency company actually sent us their internal mining software because it was super intense and they wanted to tested at scale and we also wanted to test high loads on the GPU. So it was a win-win. Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. Cool. Wow. So like what kind of challenges did that present in the front end?
1: Uh, yeah. So most of the state for say any given device. So as you might imagine, devices can have a lot of state, like if it's a CPU, is it on, is it detected or any number of things? All of that is actually um, expressed in bit masks. <laughs> Because the back end or the we'll call it like the the bottom end because there's there's the Linux kernel which we run on top of, then there's a REST API, then there's me. So core, which is the Linux part, everything is in bitmasks. And I cannot tell you how long it took me to figure out how to actually do those in JavaScript. Previously I was just pattern matching. I'm just like, is it an eight? Cool. Then it's on. <laughs> But yeah, wow. <laughs> but also, I mean, it's really complex concepts that I have to figure out some way to make it look easy, <laughs> which sometimes I can't, no matter how hard I try.
3: Yeah, there there, there haven't been that many times uh, that I've actually used them, like since learning about them in a computer science class.
1: Yeah, and I don't have a computer science background, so I was like, "Uh, what?" Now that I understand them, they're super useful.
3: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't major in computer science, but like I, I did take some classes that I was
1: interested in. Yeah, I kind of want to go back and do that, but that is totally off topic. Uh, <laughs> 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 but yeah, and also, I mean, because we are a small company, I generally don't have like real requirements from the get go. You know, we start a feature and we're all sort of exploring what it will actually be the end result. And oftentimes, you know, there are educators we hadn't thought about which forces the feature to evolve. We'll say evolve because that's the nice word for it. (laughs) Scope creep. (laughs) But yeah, and you know, our CTO who still codes, he is a C guy. I don't know if you've met a lot of C programmers, but visuals are generally not their thing. You know, they think in this whole other dimension that I'm trying to understand. (laughs) And like translating that into a useful, um, intuitive user experience. The biggest challenge is that it requires me to truly understand what the future is and not coming from a computer science or hardware background. That sometimes takes a lot of time and, as I like to call it, marinating.
3: <laughs> yeah, so you probably have to, like, ask a lot of questions.
1: Oh, God, so many questions. So one feature recently I... Uh, I think I went into the CTO's office to ask questions like at least 10 times. And it was usually like every other day I was, I was, or sometimes every day, I'd be like, I swear, one of these days it'll be the end of the questions about this feature. I finally finished that feature. So I wasn't lying. I did eventually <laughs> not have questions.
3: This sounds like such a simple thing, just like asking questions, but I feel like it's a skill that a lot of developers take a long time to learn, like how to ask yes. questions about like what they should be building and like how this system works and like how the, the culture of like this, like community works and like, all, yes. all that stuff. Like, do you have any, do you have any tips or anything that you've learned that has made that easier for you?
1: Um, I mean, it, like a lot of it depends on the person you're asking the questions to, And so I think perhaps That has been the most useful skill that I've developed is learning how to interact with a specific person. And that, honestly, it does take just some time figuring out what they respond well to. Like, for example, some people um, have a tendency to get defensive when you ask questions because they think that you're pushing back on what they have put in place or pushing back Uh, on their idea. Like they have to
3: justify like why they did things this way or... When
1: uh, in reality, I'm literally, I just don't understand because I don't understand. (laughs) So I've learned that uh, phrasing things like, just for my own edification, could you explain this to me? You know, being, uh, making it very much about your uh, desire for knowledge, (laughs) not what they've done. (laughs) But also just uh, realizing that you can't ask all the questions all at once because you don't know everything when you're trying to ask those questions. Really, the most useful thing is uh, figuring out what your unknown unknowns are and trying to pry those out of uh, whoever you are trying to gain the knowledge from. But sometimes it's not gonna happen until a little late in the process, and that's super fun, let me tell you.
3: <laughs> yeah, because sometimes you don't know what to ask. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and you know, yeah.
1: And sometimes you realize, uh, really late in the process, AKA it's been deployed at like one of the largest server companies in the world. And you realize that you didn't know something and now you have a giant bug in production and Hey, that's okay. It
0: happens.
3: <laughs> yeah. So I'm also curious uh, in terms of asking questions, something I, I liked that you said is like, I, I went back to the CTO for the 10th time to ask about this particular thing.
2: Yes. <laughs> and, and
3: I, I, I find a lot of people are kind of afraid to ask a question more than once or ask for clarification when they don't understand the first explanation. Because pe- people like, I think we're, we're all afraid sometimes of looking dumb.
1: I, I, I guarantee experience. there are a lot
3: of people at home who like, like when you talked about, you know, the, the architecture stuff and you talked about like PCI and, you know, all all, this, all yeah. these different things. like All these uh, things
1: that are really foreign to most of us. The,
3: I guarantee there are some people at home, and I'm talking to you now, people at home, that, like, felt dumb because you didn't know some things. And, yeah. like, it's okay to not know everything. Yeah. None <laughs> of us know everything. And actually, the only way to get smart is by, like, asking those questions. Or to get smarter. Yeah. Right? It's not a Like, you're smart. It's, yeah.
1: Smarter? Yeah. I like smarter. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, and actually... There was uh, one situation recently where I just was truly not getting the concept that he was trying to explain to me. And it was the only time I've ever seen him get frustrated with me because, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's like, this should be so obvious to you. And I'm like, it's, it's really not. And so I kept trying to, uh, to try to see if he could explain it in a different way that yeah. might stick. And eventually uh, eventually, we did land on that. But the reality was it was an incredibly complex feature that um, I actually had to run. I had to write a kind of fun algorithm to solve. Yeah, I'm not even gonna try to explain what it was because I will lose all of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it sort of, it like reminded me of when I was learning how to drive. And when I was learning how to drive, my parents only had um, stick shift cars which let me tell you, Uh not fun to learn how to drive on. (laughs) But my dad was trying and trying to get me to understand the concept of, you know, letting the clutch out. And it just was not clicking until he tried a different method. So, I mean, if you're, if you aren't understanding it, approaching it from different angles to see if you get different responses is
3: really helpful. Yeah. So something that I I used to do a lot, uh, you know, I'm a little bit ashamed of like when people would ask me a question and something seemed really obvious to me, I would just like repeat it, repeat the same words that I had just said.
1: Yeah, no, like that's what was happening. <laughs> Which
3: just makes, it makes people feel dumb.
1: Yes, yeah.
3: So it's, it's, it's not effective. And there are times when I, I still like slip up and I find myself doing that uh, not on purpose though. I, I really try not to do it because like it does make people feel dumb and that's definitely not what I mean to do. And I, I definitely don't think the people I'm talking to are dumb. When I do that, I'm just kind of like struggling to find different words. Right. But like, how would you, like when you're working with people who are also going through that process and struggling to find like different words or a different way of explaining it and not sure where the disconnect is, how do you deal with that? Like, do you have any strategies?
1: Well, I'm usually the only one here who doesn't understand what's going on. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I have to have strategies for that. I usually find that backing up to the very beginning of whatever uh whatever the interaction was because generally a concept has many layers right Backing up to the very first layer and making sure that you understand all the assumptions of that layer and then going further but i also think that it uh probably one of the things i do most is i state what my assumptions are on a topic and i'm saying and they correct me if i'm wrong because. That helps everybody uh, get on the same page in terms of this is what I do understand, so yeah. help me fill in the gaps of what I'm not understanding.
3: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so that can like that can help people identify like what's in your head, like when they're yeah. when they're like not even sure like what's going on in your yeah. head and like how you're thinking about the problem.
0: Yeah, but when you it, actually
3: it, like repeat what you've understood back to them, like paraphrased then they can see like, oh, okay, I see where the misunderstanding is. Like, it doesn't actually work like this, it's more like that.
1: Right, yeah. It establishes a baseline of knowledge and a baseline of assumptions. I can't tell you how many times the miscommunication has been, one person was assuming one thing and the other person was assuming another thing, and nobody communicated those assumptions to each other, and they were uh, diametrically opposed. (laughs) Like, oh, I thought it was this, no, it's this. So yeah, it's, I think it's actually the opposite. Really <laughs> yeah. Especially when, yeah, you're in a situation where it's really quite foreign topics to you, but to do your job well, you have to have a really deep understanding of what's happening, <laughs> making sure that your assumptions are correct and allowing, um, allowing the uh, knowledge giver to correct any assumptions that are going to lead to a dark path.
3: Yeah. And I think like... I'm in that situation most of the time. I think a lot of developers are in that situation most of the time, where like they don't understand the business side of things. Yeah. Like as much as the people who are like working in product development and working in sales and you know working in marketing, you know, so you have to ask a lot of questions. You're not in the trenches working directly with users a lot of times.
1: Yeah, and I find that if you don't understand uh, or at least have some Baseline of understanding of your user, it's really hard to create meaningful experiences for them. Because yeah. so, like the market that I cater to is uh, a very different market than most people. Uh, I cater to a market that's going to be extremely well informed on the software. Generally, it's not going to be in the hands of a noob like me. <laughs> They're going to have um, a lot of background technical information that sometimes I just have to assume that they have that. I do try to handhold as much as possible, but there are certain concepts that I've literally been instructed just to assume they know this. <laughs> I'm like, okay.
3: Gosh, if if, if you're a noob, I, I'd hate to see uh, what I would do that with that software.
1: <laughs> I I, I'd probably
3: know. accidentally trigger like a Terminator scenario.
1: That's the other thing. Is I, oh, no, uh,
2: it's basically Skynet.
1: Basically, a lot of what I do is um, I baby-proof things. <laughs> like, nice. You know, I soften the edges of um, foot guns that people yeah, might- As a encounter. baby, I appreciate that. Right, yeah. <laughs> I do too, because I don't want to mess things up. Because Oh my God, I can't tell you how many times I've broken my own dev stack.
3: <laughs> you want to make it hard to do things wrong. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. Like that's super important. Like I, I provide a, um, a guided experience, you know, because you can also use either the REST API or even the CLI. I give you the training wheels to figure out how things work, how to do things in, you know, how, how to perform a workflow. And then, you know, if you want to start creating scripts that do it automatically for you after that. Cool. If not, you can keep using, you know, the training wheels.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I actually find like it really helpful having people who aren't so immersed in the product, doing product development, like doing UX, doing development, you know, because they actually get a chance to ask these questions and the assumptions that, that people have, you know, because when, you, when you're building a business around an idea, you're often like a super, super expert on it. Yeah. And so there are so many things that seem obvious to you that won't be obvious to your users. Yeah. And won't be obvious to people who are like just getting into this, you know, who are like, who've been doing, like took, took a Udemy course on... <laughs> uh, machine learning and now they're like trying to do some stuff with machine learning, like for their company, for the university, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, they need some handholding. Like they yeah. could use some help, how to, like figuring out how to understand these things.
1: So we were supposed to be done with the rewrite. Um, I think the original target date was October of last year. It was like the last week of September and I just happened to go to um UI UX meetup that I hadn't been to before. And the speaker said, Does anyone have some designs that they would like feedback on? And I'm like, Yes, yes, please, yes, please, yes, yes, yes. And that was probably one of the most humbling experiences of my life because everyone was like, This doesn't make sense to me. And I'm like, Oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> but I mean, I was thankful to have that feedback prior to what was supposed to be the release. And the good news is, is it wasn't actually released until the first week of January (laughs) this year. But that prompted us to um, take a really hard look at what our process was and where we could look to for feedback. So we actually dog fooded um, the app. It was an exhausting but fascinating experience to watch people use my software. And we had a lot of really great improvements that came out of that. So yeah, I would say that you have to take a step back from time to time and be like, how, how would you use this? Because how I would use it is so biased and full of assumptions that the user will not have.
3: Yeah, I agree. User testing is so important. There have been uh, more times than I like to admit where you know I've, I've come out with a prototype for something and then showed it to users or like written a first draft of, of docs and then showed it to, to someone and then they're asked like, so what, what is it you're trying to do? <laughs> <laughs> Like, they can't even figure out, like, what I am trying to explain or what I'm trying to, like, make easy or what people are supposed to do in this system.
1: Yeah. I mean, there were things that I thought were going to be so obvious that people really struggled with, like, just finding this one button. Because, you know, we, we had them go through a pretty basic workflow. And, I mean, the first step was the hardest every time. <laughs> So yeah, we uh we improved how we guided the user to the first step of a workflow.
3: Yeah, we, we, when you've looked at a button and like clicked on a button for testing ten thousand times, it can be hard to imagine how like it's not that button isn't obvious to everyone.
1: Uh, well, yeah, especially yeah. when uh, you have a heavily icon based user interface. It as it turns out, you're super used to those icons, but a new user has no idea. It's just a bunch of different shapes. Yes, especially, yeah, especially in uh, my realm where we have icons that represent, you know, different types of devices and things like that. We try to make them intuitive, but uh, there are limits to how intuitive we can make those things.
3: Yeah, that's tough. I, I, I also like have mixed feelings about icons, like until you're really familiar with it unless it's like a super, super common icon, like a little X to close something.
1: Yeah. Turns out that is pretty universal.
3: But I mean, apart from that, like there really aren't that many icons that just everybody understands. And even those cases, like I wouldn't say everybody understands like that the X means close.
1: Yeah. And actually now that I'm thinking about it, we have, you know, your standard X icon to close things. Ah, uh, but then we also have an X with a circle around it, and that's our cancel icon. So, oh yeah, yes.
3: I mean, close or,
1: cancel or delete, delete.
3: <laughs> which could all be different things in yeah. your system. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So and, uh, yeah, we finally learned that actions had to have words next to the icon. You know, for uh, workflow navigation, we figured icons as a menu were okay, but when it came down to Performing an action that had consequences, we should probably be very explicit about that.
3: Yep. I'm all yeah. for that as well. For this project, I believe you also like, completely rewrote it when you moved from Polymer to Vue, right?
0: Yes. Like you just
3: started from scratch. Yes. Yeah. Let's hear yeah. about this. What was your decision uh, or how, how did you make that decision to do a complete rewrite rather than like a, sort of a gradual migration?
1: So, well, among other things, we also did a complete visual redesign when we did the rewrite because uh, we had designed ourselves into a corner with the first one. We, uh, we just sort of ran out of places to put things. <laughs> so we learned a lot about that because it, uh, it was actually originally intended to be solely a desktop app. So we also use Electron. I forgot to mention that mostly because we haven't actually shipped that to a customer yet. Someday, someday. But so it very much had the you know a desktop app feel, like very confined to the window. Scrolling wasn't really a thing. Uh, pagination was the thing, which pagination's hard. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's tried it, no. <laughs> or at least anyone who's tried to hand roll it. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: like a hazing ritual every developer should go through
1: oh god yeah no it's uh god pagination bugs i am so glad those are not no longer a thing I on a daily basis because oh it was literally like whack-a-mole with that uh <laughs>
0: that's great <laughs> yeah. it really is
1: but anyway moving on so yeah we had basically designed ourselves into a corner so we kind of needed a fresh slate to be fair though uh when I say we've designed ourselves into the corner, that's a royal we. Uh, my previous teammate and I were hired. Um, we started the same day. And uh, we were handed this app that was written by people who had never written um, a web app before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, the previous CEO had written all of the HTML and CSS, you know, stuff he, had, he was completely self-taught. While also being the CEO of the company, so I'm pretty sure he was very sleep deprived any time he was writing that. And the JavaScript was written by my boss, who is a Java guy, and just thought, "Hey, it would be fun to do JavaScript." He no longer thinks that that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> when I inherited it, there was no state management. It was an absolute nightmare. Like I think I counted, there were places where. Uh, state was being passed down like eight levels deep or more. Yeah. I think there was definitely some that were more than that. Yeah, no. So uh, trying to backtrack to find where any state originated was a nightmare. So at that point I was like, hey guys, Redux, we should do that. (laughs) That made it easier, but we kept running into bugs with Polymer and um, timing of updates. And it just kept happening. And there were some things that we just couldn't fix you know there were some race conditions that it might happen nothing i can do sorry <laughs> so yeah uh honestly i wanted to rewrite that app uh since like the first week i started because <laughs> it was it was a mess it was oh, we we cleaned it up a lot along the way but uh my boss he never wanted to write it in polymer so he was
3: so it was just like it was slowing down development so much that it was oh, actually yeah. faster to write it, it from scratch.
1: Exactly, yeah. It Like, that was really, we were like, guys, there's not much we can do. Like, they, we can't really add new stuff. <laughs> so yeah. either, either you let us do the rewrite or it's going to be really weird. <laughs> and uh, it turns out the core team, they were porting over to a different version of Linux. So it, the timing just sort of lined up where there was going to be no new... No new large features for several months. And we were given the green light to do it, which honestly, I never thought would actually happen. You know, I pestered a lot for it, but you just never imagine that you'll live the dream of a greenfield rewrite.
3: Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> and, and most of the time, I don't recommend it, but it sounds like in this case, like oh, it,
1: it was necessary. It, you know,
3: it was probably the right decision. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it really was. But as it turns out, even with a, a greenfield rewrite, you're still going to make mistakes.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. <of> yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, you try to learn from your mistakes you try to learn from other people's mistakes as much as possible, but you're still going to make mistakes and you're still going to have tech debt. It uh, turns out, yeah, we uh, accrued tech debt pretty fast. That's a thing that happens because, you know, yeah. we started by trying to write tests, you know, for everything. We want to be like, you know so good, do all the right things. And I mean, we had a really good foundation with Vue Enterprise Boilerplate. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> uh, Happy to help. Mom. But uh, that could only take <laughs> as far as the developer's willing to go. And turns out we were running out of time. So Tess kind of fell by the wayside. I've started mm-hmm. trying to go back. But actually, the biggest mistake we made um, was layouts are were all float-based. Don't ask me why. In 2018, we were using float-based layouts, but we were.
0: Hey, I mean, if it works, but there are definitely better alternatives.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure it did. I'm actually right now, I'm going back and trying to refactor them all to use Grid, which is super awesome. It's so satisfying. I
2: love Grid.
1: It's amazing.
2: This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at Sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's Small Plan. That's code devchat at Sentry.io.
0: Oh, speaking of, it, now I have something for my picks actually. Yeah, we had we
3: had Miriam on uh, the other week. Miriam Suzanne, love her uh, talking to us love about. Uh, me too. Me too. Huge, huge fan. And she was talking about like a lot of underused CSS features, CSS grid being one of the biggest ones, like that can, Why would can you just not simplify use it? people's life. Well, I mean, I, I guess it, if you okay, it was
1: really you know, hard to grasp
3: that I don't won't support it. But even even then, like you could have fallbacks.
1: Yeah, float based layouts and everything is based on um, a SAS variable that is um, just 24 pixels. We call it grid size, and literally mm-hmm. the entire layout was based on this one thing. So that's been really fun to uh, try to uh, remedy because right now, our actually, we have a, a problem. Uh, most people are like, oh, uh, we need the app to scale down. Our app doesn't scale to large screens, which at trade show, they're using 4K monitors. Turns out uh, it doesn't look good on a 4K
0: monitor. So,
1: <laughs> so I have to tell them, like, uh, I'm sorry, you're going to have to set it to 1080p. I will get to that eventually, but for now, I'd have to break everything and I can't, all right.
3: And no one told me to support 4K.
1: <laughs> right. No, like, uh, but I actually, yeah, I'm kind of excited to tackle that problem, though I figured out the best way is uh, incremental. You know, whenever I have downtime, I, uh, I pick a component and I'm like, well, let's make that grid. And so I'm just, like working from the inside out. <laughs> so I pick yeah. like the smaller components, make those grid first, and then they're, they're wrappers. And then one day... The whole thing will be grid.
3: That's a, that's a good way to do it, yeah, so that you don't have to just, like, stop and rewrite everything.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, uh, we, we got that opportunity once. We uh, clearly squandered that, so... <laughs> can't ask for that again. But I figure, you know, yeah. it doesn't take very long to, uh, you know, refactor a small thing into a grid layout. And yeah. if... God, trying to just refactor all of your layouts to grid all at once... I feel like you just really hate grid at the end, and I don't want that. I just don't. Because <laughs> right going, now going? I love it.
3: And going directly from floats to a lot of things to, to grid, uh, I feel like that's sort of like jumping a couple centuries in technology. Right? Uh, yeah,
1: like we just <laughs> skip right like, over Flexbox. No big deal. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, it's 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 sort of like going from like I don't know, from a horse to like a fighter jet,
1: <laughs> or Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) It's really, yeah, horse to Tesla.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, right? Yeah. The mental model totally works.
3: And my my phone, like, I always have trouble syncing my phone to the horse. Right, yeah. It it Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to work. I think it's maybe, like, (laughs) a different version of Bluetooth or something. I haven't figured it out. I'm still talking to the horse breeder, but... (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll troubleshoot it.
1: But, yeah, uh, so... As it turns out, you're still going to make mistakes in the Greenfield Rewrite. But as long as you're learning from those mistakes, that's really all that matters. And I've learned a lot from my mistakes, mistakes of other people, and I'm a better developer for it. So yeah, actually, I encourage people to make mistakes. I really do. And yeah, I still, feel like
3: if you're that, not making mistakes, you, are, you need to find a new job because you're not growing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I remember when I first started at the coding boot camp, like they told us, if you're not failing, you're not learning. I'm like, whatever. I'm super smart. I don't fail. Uh, (laughs) That didn't last long, let me tell you. (laughs) So I had a capstone project at the very end. And the night before uh, I was supposed to present it, it just stopped working completely. Like something happened where it couldn't pull the cookies that had their credentials. Like it was just like, that doesn't exist. Like cookies aren't a thing. Screw you. And you know, it's like 2 a.m. at this point, the day I'm supposed to present. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm a failure. I'm a complete failure. This is the worst. I have nothing to present. You're like, you know, I think at the time it seemed like a really reasonable response to be crying hysterically. In retrospect, maybe, maybe it was a little dramatic, but um, I'll never forget my instructor. She was like, just present what you presented yesterday in your mock. And I was like, what? Cause you know, like it wasn't done when we did our like run-throughs the day before. And so I just talked about, the intent of it, the experience thus far, how working with bleeding edge technologies sometimes maybe not the best uh, option when you're on a short timeframe. And so, yeah, I ended up just presenting on the value of failure uh, because it I finally understood if you're not failing, you're not learning.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I feel like my first f- probably few years of development, I was atrocious at estimating. Oh,
1: yeah. No. Uh, like, there, there's
3: that something easy. that I, would, I, I thought would take one hour and it would take two days. Yep. Like, that bad.
1: Yeah, I'm either way over or way under. I'm, like, super excited. Recently, I estimated a feature at 20 hours. I was within 20 minutes of it. I was, like...
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, right? Yeah, uh, that's never gonna happen again. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, what are some... Changing topics a little bit, what were some features of you as you were building this Greenfield project that you found especially useful for building the kind of interface that you were building?
1: Oh, my God. Um, probably the two most useful things are V4, because we have a lot of lists of things. <laughs> tell you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, being able to just be like, yeah, uh, just map all that and render it. Thank you. Uh, and computed properties. Oh, computed properties are life, just life. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <We need laughs> to can I buy that T-shirt that.
1: somewhere? Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> someone should make that. One you of can the make listeners see that. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Come on. No, because like I mean, for example, uh, we have like the very first screen that you see in our app is this monstrosity. Okay, under the covers, it's a monstrosity that is built with recursive functions to essentially map three separate data sources into a hierarchy.
3: Uh
1: (laughs) Computed properties. I just, I have a method that builds it and I just call that method and pass in the three different data sources and it's just always up to date and that's it.
3: You don't have to worry about rerunning it when like one of those sources changes yeah. or anything like that. I don't yeah. even
1: have to remember exactly what that method does anymore because it's,
3: it's <laughs> oh, that's there.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, no, God, literally it took me like a day to write just that method. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. God, what else do I love about Vue? I mean, what don't I love? Okay,
3: actually. <laughs> you mentioned some features like pagination. Like, oh, are, are there any Vue no. features that you'd say like are... are Really helpful for handling features like pagination. Oh, I and, don't know we don't do into, Actually, could you go into a little bit more detail first about like some of the problems you encountered with pagination?
1: Uh, oh god, um, just keeping track of where the user was because uh, you know we had to keep track of the page when new items were added mm. and make sure we highlighted the right item. Turns out a lot of our issues with that specifically were scope related we were trying to do everything in one component when if we had you know made the items in the list their own component that gave us access to a more limited scope of logic where we could just yeah like compare like hey so in our state we have uh, the selected item and it's this identifier so then the component that's representing that item can be like hey is that my ID? Nope, I'm not selected. Oh hey, that is my ID. I'm selected.
3: <laughs> yeah. But if you're reusing that for every single step, like every single page, yeah. then then you also have to keep track of like like maybe like previously selected. Uh, item and you have to keep track of like w- like what was the previous thing or, or maybe you have to like have an array of like all of the s- selected indexes and yes. then it's all being managed inside of one component which becomes very complex.
1: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And then you maybe change the order of some steps and then like oh the index is actually different so we have to try to uh, <laughs> yeah. migrate
1: the state. <laughs> now we just let you scroll on lists. It just makes life so much easier for me. <laughs> But actually, uh, one thing that Vue let us solve is because it is a real-time system and I literally don't display state unless that state has been explicitly reported, there's going to be some latency when moving things around. You know, like when I'm adding GPUs to a machine, there's a certain round-trip time that has to happen before I'm like, oh, yep, it's, uh, it's in the machine now. Transitions and transition groups. Oh. <laughs> literally, I can mask that by sliding over the item towards the next list and having it slide into that list. <laughs> so everything looks very smooth and seamless, and as opposed to having the user like click and just nothing's happening and like, did I did I click on that? Because there's nothing worse than that moment when there's no, no feedback when you click something.
3: Only I had three. that moment earlier today, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so- Someone was showing me like a side project that they work on. It's like, so I tried to sign up and I clicked on sign up and nothing seemed to happen.
1: No, yeah, it's the worst. Actually, that particular instance where we're moving things across lists is the only time that I directly manipulate the data. It's sort of like, um, it's like trapeze artists, you know, like when the one is like, you know, jumping off of theirs to be caught, I have to just trust that my partner, the back end, is going to do the right thing and that that item is going to show up in the other list. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I'm just like okay, take it out. I hope it appears over there. <laughs> actually, there is it every once in a while it'll peekaboo back into the list because it's on like a one second polling mechanism. And so sometimes it'll update the list before it's actually moved. I'm like, "Oh no. Um devices love playing peekaboo." What? <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm not great at CSS, the transitions made my life really easy. I love how um, explicit they are. Mm-hmm. You're just like, you are this transition. Boom. Done.
3: Yeah, we also had Crystal Campioni on uh, recently in an episode not too long ago uh, talking about like, how, how awesome transitions are and transition group and uh, just the, the, beautiful thing that she, the beautiful things that she creates with them.
1: Oh, and like the list move? Oh my god, that was life changing. Literally, like one line of CSS, and when I sort a list, it's it just like books. automatically cool.
3: animates. Oh yeah. Oh my god. With a, an automatic flip transition. Yes,
1: uh, uh, that or
0: blew or my that, mind. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like I actually uh, that that particular area of the docs was probably the thing that pushed me over the edge towards Vue when we were deciding what framework to go towards because I was like, what? That's
0: amazing. <laughs>
3: That Sudoku demo, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, that's that's one of those demos where, like, after I built it, I just started, like, playing with it so for long. hours.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I may have at least spent a solid five minutes just trying to win. Um, yeah, it's, like, yeah. pointless.
3: <laughs> no, but it doesn't it tell
1: you cool. when you win either.
3: It doesn't <laughs> tell you when you win. I, I try to keep it pretty simple. So, like, I, I thought about trying to add that, but it's like, no, nah, that's, that's just going to you know, make the example more complex and it'll be a distraction.
1: But yeah, no, that, that demo, it's solid gold, solid gold.
3: The demo was pretty easy to make, fortunately, because of like uh, how awesome like the yeah. feature by of view is yes. and how, how much it just like, does it work for you?
1: Yeah, no, um, that, that one blew my mind. But yeah, just the reactivity system in general is just so powerful and useful for a real-time app because I need everything to be reflected exactly as it is in my single source of truth at any given moment. And Vue just takes care of that for me. So I don't have to think about things because I have enough to think about. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, I think we all do. Don't, don't we all? Yeah.
1: No, and I've been told, I've never used React, but I've been told that that sort of thing is a heck of a lot harder to implement in React. I'm like, whew, yeah, good thing that that was never on the table because that just looked like too much of a learning <laughs> curve for two people who have never used it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've done quite a bit of React and was actually a React consultant for a couple of years before I started using Vue. And I, I definitely did spend more time solving like, problems in React, like, specific to React applications, rather than just focusing on like, the business problem, like
1: yeah. what I need to
3: do. Uh, and that, that, was, that was, for me, personal, my, my personal experience.
1: Yeah, I love that Vue lets me just focus on the important things, which is creating the user experience. Like I'm not having to fight with it constantly, which it felt like with other frameworks, I was always fighting with the framework to get it to do what I needed it to do. And mm-hmm. Vue just does what I need it to do.
3: Not always, not always.
1: yeah, but like 90% of the time, yeah. it does it.
3: Going back to pagination a little bit, like you mentioned you had one big component that was managing all the pages and then it just like was way too complex. And then you split each that out into separate components. Yeah. Were you using something like a a component with the is attribute in order to switch between the components or how were you doing that?
1: Oh, this was actually in Polymer. We no longer do pagination because that was too hard. Okay. Uh, But actually... uh, As it turns out, Polymer and Vue share a lot stylistically, which is actually another reason why we went with Vue, because the mental model was pretty similar, uh. yeah, pretty similar to yeah to the style of programming that we were already using. But so uh, yeah, no, the is component makes life a lot easier, especially because uh, <laughs> because we have different devices, but each device like it has a generic wrapper and then slots specifically in it. But sometimes I don't know what needs to go in the slot, so I literally combined the uh, dynamic components with slots, and I'm pretty sure I just blew most people's minds because those are the two things most people hate.
3: <laughs> yeah, for people who like uh, need to know, like what to Google to figure out like what we're talking about. Uh, if you Google like view dynamic components, like you'll find uh, like a link to the docs that says like dynamic and async components, and you just click on that, and you can read all about it.
1: It's uh, really powerful when you need it. I wish I had. That's the other thing. So Vue lets you uh, become functional with very little knowledge to begin with. You know, you can implement things with maybe not the greatest patterns, but it still works. It might not be the most maintainable code, but it gets you where you need to go to start with. And then I've noticed that, like, as I've gotten more proficient and I've dug deeper into, you know, some of the more powerful patterns that you can utilize in Vue. I have the, I literally have a list of things I want to refactor (laughs) to use um, more maintainable patterns. But yeah, I mean, when I first started writing our app, I was like, I feel like dynamic components have some value here, but I'm just, I don't understand them well enough. So maybe I'll come back to that later. And then, yeah, eventually I was like, okay, this is how it fits. And this is how we need to design it to make it fit in. And this is how it's going to make my life easier moving forward. So I, I like that it sort of lets you level up incrementally. Like mm-hmm. you can make it work. Uh, but if you want to make it awesome and maintainable, uh, here's, here you can dive a little bit deeper.
3: Yeah, that's definitely very, very conscious uh, on our part. We try to structure yeah, things so I that
1: <laughs> you're getting,
3: ideally, like the most power for the least effort at every single step.
1: Yes. Uh, No, and I like that the docs were organized like that as well. Like, you know, the basics, the docs also huge, huge reason why we picked Vue. Because, I mean, like I felt like I had a solid grasp uh, after just reading through the guide. I was like, okay, I feel like I know how to use this. Or at least, you know, I knew enough to be dangerous.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, and actually, uh, we we only used the docs really to get started. We didn't uh, do any courses or anything. So, I mean, if the docs are enough to get us started on rewriting a large app, like, that is a testament to you, Chris, and all of the contributors to the docs, which, mm-hmm. what's it up to now? 300, 400? Oh,
3: yeah, hundreds. And the other members of the docs team, like, uh, you know, uh, Sarah Dresner and Natalia Tepluhina, Anfan. Like they do incredible, incredible work, and yeah, thank the, you. yeah, and our translators. Yeah, it's it's a lot of people who who have contributed to making it as good as it is, and keep making it better.
1: Now, whenever like I have to look at documentation for like some library, I'm like, oh, these are these are just awful. <laughs> but no, I mean, I have like I've run into this situation recently where I'm looking at the, some docs, I'm just like, ah. Uh, I realize that this is supposed to help me understand what's going on, but I'm actually more confused now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. The docs, I mean, surely that's probably one of the biggest reasons that Vue has been as successful as it is. I agree. Yeah. So Chris, you're awesome. Everyone else who contributes. To yeah, that, and, you're and awesome. Every, yeah.
3: I mean, uh, it's definitely a team effort. Like the, my, my first drafts of, of documentation are usually at that point that I was talking about before where people are trying to figure <laughs> out, what were you trying to do? What is what is the point of all of this?
1: But I mean, there has <laughs> to then, be a first draft. And then I can
3: to make it better. <laughs> and
1: then, you know, uh, when people collaborate to make that first draft into something awesome and understandable. Yeah. Someone had to write the first draft, Chris. Someone had to.
3: Really a big part of my, my personal process is just iteration and user testing. And, you know, being honest with yourself about, like, what is working for people and what's not, and not falling in love with yes with certain explanations, because you have to be ready to get rid of it if it doesn't work for other people, even if you think it's really elegant.
1: Yes. No, actually, uh, that's probably one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn being, you know, the sole owner of my code base at this point, is learning how to swallow my pride, <laughs> Because, you know, there are times where I'm like, but this is awesome and I worked really hard on it. But if it doesn't work for the user, it doesn't work for the user. It,
3: yeah, I, I think that's one hard, of the most important yeah. things as a as a developer or like a product developer. Just learning to be okay with having done something that didn't work.
1: Yeah, we used uh, the art director who has since moved on to another job. He always used to say, don't be afraid to kill your babies, <laughs> which, was a, which was a rather... Uh, <laughs>
0: Very dramatic, way of but putting it's, yeah, it.
1: very dramatic. But I was like, but bit. it made sense, you know, because you know, so often we get emotionally attached to these things yeah. that we create, and you know, I I don't have any children, but I've uh, been made to understand that people get emotionally attached to babies. So, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, obviously, less emotional attachment with something <laughs> created like uh, that's a feature or something. But yeah, I always thought that that was really excellent advice. However, it can be a lot harder to do that in practice than in theory.
3: Yeah. I, there are times when I spent like two days on a really awesome demo and then I find out like, okay, this, this example actually isn't really connecting with people. And someone suggested this like example that took them 30 seconds to create and it actually works much better. Like people respond, it, it tests much better. Like people uh, understand the concept and so I had to, like, throw away the thing that I spent two days on, even though, like, yeah, I, I felt some attachment to it. Um, yeah, no,
1: it's, it's really hard, especially because, you know, like, I'm all alone. So sometimes I end up in this sort of, like, uh, echo chamber. Because <laughs> obviously I'm going to tell myself what I want to hear. And, yeah, so, like, I'll, like, bring up the idea to someone else. And they're like, no, I don't like that. What? No. And I'm like, oh, OK, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, I didn't like it either. I just, you know, thought <laughs> or like sometimes, you know, someone um, like one of the testers will come to me requesting a feature. And I'm like, yeah, no, that sounds like a really great idea. I love it. So I implement it and then I show it to the CTO and he was like, no, take that out. And I'm like, and then he'll explain his side. I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, no, that's a really good point. Sorry, yeah, I didn't think of that. Got it. <laughs> yep. I figure, you know, learning from mistakes again. That's really just, the theme of being a developer
0: it really yeah. is.
1: which uh, which sucks because man for most of my life i was absolutely paralyzed by fear of failure so i've really had to embrace failure <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah that, that is tough I, I mean we've talked a lot about that sort of like fear of failure and fear of like seeming dumb Yes. As well? Like
1: literally my greatest fear. I I think those are related. Yes. No, they totally are. Mm -hmm. Like I hate trying new things because uh, I might look stupid. I don't go to the gym because I might look stupid.
3: (laughs) And it's so funny too, because like we go to the gym. Like if you're going to the gym for the first time, it's because like you feel like you're kind of out of shape. (laughs)
1: Right? Yeah. No, it's like like, uh, I'm more like judge. This sucks.
3: You're, you're, you're going because you have stuff to work on.
1: Yeah. No, it's, yeah, gyms scare me.
3: But I, like, as a developer, have you found any strategies? Uh, do you have any tips on how you deal with that and, and not get sort of stuck in your head and afraid to, like, do new things?
1: Uh, I definitely have to remind myself. And ask questions. <laughs> that we all suffer from imposter syndrome, like, if someone says that they don't, they're, they're lying. They're an imposter just saying, cause you know, yeah, we, we get in our heads and we think, Oh my God, what if I don't actually know anything? And actually Chris saw me do this recently and he gave me a great pep, pep talk to him. I and mean, it's okay. None of us know what we're doing. I'm like, yeah, that's a really good point. None of us do. But yeah, I guess just realizing that you're not alone in that feeling and most of us have looked stupid at some point, and we're going to be pretty sympathetic towards that because we're like, "Oh yeah, you're so relatable." Yeah, been there, done that. Because yeah, I am a pretty anxious person, which doesn't mm-hmm. help with the whole fear of looking stupid. <laughs> but I mean, really, it you know, there's something to exposure therapy. Uh, you know, figuring out what the worst case scenario is and making it happen. Like you know, bombing my capstone project—that was literally worst-case scenario—and it still turned out really well. Like some of my uh, cohort, they were in tears after I spoke about it. I was like, "Oh no, no, you're gonna make me cry again!" Like I don't have many tears left. Like I'm dehydrated. (laughs) Stop that. I know it was actually funny. Like a lot of women came up to me after and said that they were amazed that I got through. My presentation without crying, and I'm like, oh no, you don't understand. I'm literally just dead inside right now.
3: <laughs> yeah, don't, uh, don't worry, I'll cry later.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I just, I don't have the energy.
3: I'll cry me. a lot later. As soon as I leave, like actually, in in about two minutes, I might leave to go to the bathroom and just cry in there. I,
1: for a I while. felt really good about it because I yeah. found the value in my failure, and I guess like, really, yeah, fail. Uh, that's the best way to get over that is to just. Fail and realize it's not as bad as you think it's going to be, mm-hmm. and it's probably going to be something really good that comes out of it.
3: Oddly enough, and, and find value in your failure. I think that's a good tip too. And like for yeah. for asking questions, I think it's it's similar. I think you can find like value in your ignorance. It actually gives you yeah. a perspective that you wouldn't otherwise have. Like you, you can get so in the weeds when you just like know the product, know the domain so well that yeah. like you just <laughs> build the perfect interface for you
1: yeah I mean, because I'm what matters,
3: <laughs> but when you can look at it from more of a beginner's mindset, yeah yep there's a lot of power in that, so I, I think it's I think it's good to be grateful for our ignorance and grateful for the chance to like ask these dumb questions or yeah. questions that we're worried might make us seem dumb.
1: yeah, no, and uh especially like working here where I know I know less than everyone around me. I Yeah, I'm just sort of over it. I'm like, yeah, everybody knows that I don't know this stuff, but everybody knows I'm trying. And that's Although, what matters.
3: I would, I would even challenge that. I, I, bet, I, I bet the other people on the team don't know as much about what's going on in the front end as you do.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, I, okay, yeah, to be fair. Uh, so yeah, the they know
3: more about what they do.
1: I actually know more about the entire app's architecture than anyone else because I have to understand exactly what happens from the bottom up. Because if something's going wrong, I need to know where. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I actually would say in that respect, yeah, app architecture, I am the master, I am a goddess. (laughs) But when it comes to like, you know, nitty gritty of hardware, like uh, PCIe registers, uh, I'm not even sure that's really a thing. Um, Yeah. I'm like, yeah, nope. I'll learn that when I need to know it. And it turns out, eventually, I need to know those things. <sighs> but then I often forget them later.
3: But at least, like, you know, you can learn, like, you know, vague phrases like, ah, oh, there's something about PCIe registers. Yeah. And it's like, I know it's like... When there's something like that, I don't know yeah. what that is still, but like we go to this part of the app and we figured it out.
1: Yeah, and, no, um, uh, you know, I, yeah, I've also sort of realized. I need to
3: talk to Lisa to figure out like exactly how that part works just yeah. to, to fix the bug, but I know where yeah, to look.
1: I, I know where to look. I know where to poke things to, you know, to see where it hurts. <laughs>
3: yeah, so you know enough I to know be.
1: generalities really. Like, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, it, it probably wouldn't be useful to spend time to become like,
1: A hardware, More of
3: an expert on all of these different things that other people are doing, like more than them.
1: Yeah, basically, I just have have to know how everything fits together. What makes that puzzle piece, I don't necessarily know, but I know what that puzzle piece is.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think learning enough to ask questions.
0: Yes. Definitely.
3: Gosh, do you have any tips about that too, Ben? As far as asking questions? As far as like getting over uh, imposter syndrome and feeling, like, okay to ask them questions, feeling okay to, like, try something that you might fail at. Like, I know that's something you've given on, advice on before as well.
1: I think he experienced it the first day of UComp with the joke. <laughs> I'm just saying.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I actively still continue to wrestle with that. Um, I think it's really hard these days, especially with the internet, that you're like, well, I should be able to Google this myself. So then there's this, like, double like standard of, like, well, I should be smart enough to research it because Google has everything. So why am I going to ask somebody a question if I can just Google it? And it's this weird like line that you're always trying to teeter. But you know, I think I saw a tweet recently that was great. It's like, sometimes you just want that human connection. It just helps to better explain things. Like, yes, technically, if you Google enough, theoretically, you will find it at some point. But a lot of times, it's just faster to have that just ask in person and those sort of things. To Ari's point, though, a lot of it is, though, like, find someone that is good at sort of creating that safe environment for you because there are people who, um, you know, if you ask the wrong person, they, they can be very condescending and it can have that backlash. So especially if you're new to this, start with people you're comfortable with and work your way up to, you know, random strangers that you're asking questions to. Yeah.
3: Although with people like that, as you get to know people better, I think it's really good to communicate like what an effective way to communicate who you will be. And that's why like, I'm glad people have told me in the past, like, you know what? And when you just like, when I say like, I don't understand, can you like, try to like rephrase that? And I just like say exactly what I just said again, (laughs) it makes them feel really stupid. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm glad that people talk to me about that because I don't want to make them feel that way. But also like, on the flip side, and especially with people I don't know as well, when I'm asking a question, and they like, seem frustrated or seem annoyed. Mm -hmm. I try to remember that like, this is a frustrating situation where like there's some kind of disconnect and we don't know where it is. Yeah. And I try to remember that, you know, they might be frustrated at the disconnect and they, they might even be like projecting some of that onto me in this moment. Yeah. But I know that the only way to improve our relationship is to push past that and try to, figure out like where it is and, you know, try to remain calm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that being a good question asker is also uh, really feeds into being a good question answerer because <laughs> yeah. uh, our art director here uh, is trying to learn View to help me out a little bit um, on the app. And he, his JavaScript knowledge is pretty limited. Like he has some, he has pretty good HTML and CSS um, skills, you know, having worked at marketing agencies in the past. <laughs> and I've learned that, you know, he'll ask a question and that nine times out of 10, my response is another question. Like trying to gauge his baseline, what he yeah. what he's tried, gauge his understanding of the problem um, so that I'm not, you know, Diving right in and skipping over parts he doesn 't already understand, mm,
0: yeah
1: because yeah, uh, because it's the curse of knowledge we're like, oh, that's super obvious, I know what that is, but you have to remember that you had to build up to that too, and so figuring out where they are in that process is super helpful for me at least to give a meaningful answer,
3: yeah, 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 I've noticed that too, like if i if i 'm not careful, if i 'm not mindful, I can get caught in the weeds, like if someone asks like oh, like, how do I use a dynamic component? You know, I might, you know, jump into like a whole explanation. And if I don't ask questions or if I don't give them a chance to like jump in, they might wait patiently. And then after 20 minutes, they, they say like, no, 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 I mean, like in this case,
1: uh, <laughs> I know what it is. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, like uh, someone once told me, uh, don't, don't ask how you implement a solution, um, explain your problem. hmm Cause yeah, all the time. Like, there's so many times where you're like, "How do I write a for loop?" When um, really uh, dot map is the better solution. But without the context, no one could have told you that.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. So I think uh, wrap as we wrap things up, Ari. Where can people find you on the internet?
1: They can find me on Twitter at Gloomy Loomy. That's gloomylumi. That's G L O O M Y L U M I.
0: That's a lovely screen name. I love that. (laughs) We'll make sure to drop that in the show notes. Chris, do you have any final questions for Ari before we wrap up and move on to PICs? That's it for me. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to
2: programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take-home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. Triplebyte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com. react That's triplebyte.com as in 8-bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. I guess let's do picks. Chris, would you like to go first?
0: No, but sure. Uh, <laughs> I can. <laughs> I can go first. That's fine.
3: Yeah, sure. You go first.
0: Yeah. All right. We were talking about grids earlier. Um, so my pick for this week, uh, Sarah Drasner released a CSS grid generator that she made. It's pretty awesome. Uh, so we'll be dropping that in the show notes. And my fun pick for this week is... For those who watch like the Hayao Miyazaki and sort of his animated films like uh, Payo or Spirited Away. No, no. It's, yeah, it's Spirited Away. And there's a documentary um, that's online that's completely free on sort of that follows him around. Definitely worth checking out. So those are my picks for this week. Do you want to go, Chris? Sure. Yeah, I think I
3: only have one pick, which is not something I've really played around with yet. But it's something that uh, Divya uh shared on Twitter you know, frequent host of this podcast called ZDog, which you can find at zzz.dog, which is, it's described as a round, flat, designer-friendly pseudo 3D engine for Canvas and SVG. And if you don't know what that means, just imagine like these cool, like cartoony 3D models that y- you can use more easily than you think. <laughs> yeah, Dave Desandro made that. Oh my God, I love him. He's great. So I'll, say, I'll share that in the show notes
1: gonna have to look into that
3: and
0: Ari what are your picks for us this week
1: okay I have three picks all of them are have played some journey or some part in my journey as a developer the first one is gonna seem weird but um, it's a band explosions in the sky it's uh, really great coding music I have listened to them for countless hours while coding and as a really good introductory album, uh, The Wilderness. The genre is post-rock. And if you're not familiar with what that is, think of it like rock stars got older and chill. <laughs> 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 um, it's, uh, typically, it's uh, purely instrumental. Explosions in the Sky is definitely purely instrumental. Because I don't know, I have ADHD. So words, while programming, cannot do. Cannot. <laughs> but yeah, so highly recommend them. Uh, Explosions in the Sky. My second pick, is, this organization is the reason I'm even on this podcast, uh, View Vixens. I got to go to Vue thanks to a scholarship ticket from them. Uh, they are an amazing organization who tries to teach uh, View to um, people who identify as women and women. And I also highly recommend their Slack channel. It is the best. It, Chris was talking about, you know, a safe space to ask questions. It is a safe space to ask questions. And I love that about it. And my third pick is uh, something I just completed, Grid Critters, um, which is a game, if you guys aren't familiar with it by David by, yeah Dave Geddes. I just finished it yesterday. Super proud of myself. Nice. Um, but yeah, for me, like grid was super confusing. Like if you just look at like the MDN docs, you're just like, wait, what? what, what? what? Do not understand. And I love video games, so it sort of seemed like a natural choice. But uh, yeah, I'm a grid master now, so I highly recommend Grid Critters if you're struggling with grid.
3: Awesome. That's awesome. Great resource. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, I guess uh, that's it for this episode of Views on View. Thanks for joining us. And until next week, enjoy the view. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly,
2: the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y dot com to learn more